Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. Um, today we are going to be doing the second um, feedback open discussion roundtable of The Coldest Winter Ever and also Old Thought Next Door if anybody wants to bring up, you know, old episodes. But um, the last chapter that we read of The Coldest Winter Ever was um, jarring in it and its darkness like it was just such a beautifully set chapter that it makes you kind of wonder why they can all be like this um it was the the well for the most part it was the discussion between um midnight AKA Bilal, Bilal and um, Sister Soldier. Do we know her real name like at all? Or she just Sister Soldier to everybody. Um, but, and how she had met him and was fooled by his, um, she was taken by his intelligence and his countenance and his confidence, um, but was also fooled by him when he gave her a business card to a business that he didn't own. Um, a business that didn't exist like that's a question i always have like why are you going to uh set up a if you're going to set up a business like a front business make it somewhere out of state like make the address something where people couldn't actually just drive there and, and go see it and she pulled up to what he said was his uh auto shop and it was a post office box and then one of her friends uh, comes up and tells her that, you know, um, her friend Midnight is out in the streets doing some dastardly stuff to the community. Um, and so soldiers like, nah, nah, you're talking about the wrong person. This is, I'm talking about Bilal Jones. And then she goes and looks Bilal Jones up in the, and, and finds out that Bilal Jones doesn't exist. Like everything he said was so easily poked through. And it was just like, why even set up so elaborate of a lie on such a flimsy backup? 
like you had nothing. If they looked you up in the phone book, they wouldn't show up. If they called 411, they wouldn't be able to find you. If they went to the address where you have listed on your card for your business, they wouldn't find you. And it's just like, yo, there's better ways to lie. Um, also, if you're feeling hurt, then why lie at all? Like if you're obviously ashamed of what you're doing or if you're ashamed of what you're doing enough to have a, a business card that, that makes it seem like you're doing something else, why not just tell it straight out, yo, this is what I do. But he didn't. And so um, Soldier, who is very much staunch in her belief or in her stance that I don't, I don't fuck with drugs. I don't fuck with people who deal drugs. Um, and I won't go back on that. Um, and has told him that from the gate, from the conversation that they had, um, stands on her beliefs. And he just proceeds to try and pursue her. Like he's going to be able to just break her down or just make her believe in him through sheer will and penmanship. He's going to make her believe. Um, and so she wrote the first letter and was like, yo, I found out you're lying. I don't fuck with you no more. Don't, don't. Please don't contact me. And so this nigga proceeds to contact her like over and over and over again. And within the span of months, like one, one uh, letter a month for a while. And his letters start off with just trying to, um, be, I mean, I don't know if he tries to come off as thoughtful, but the letters come off as like misogynistic in a way. Um, all a man has this business without it, he has nothing. Women are confused. Like, no, nigga, she said that she don't fuck with drug dealers. There's no confusion in that. Like, where's the confusion? Point that out for me. Show me where you think the confusion is for this. Have you ever seen an aggressive, confident man with broke pockets, no business? If you did, you wouldn't remember him. If you remembered him, you would not respect him. It's like, yo, I think you could have been in a confident man with a legitimate business like nobody's telling you to be out in these streets and the explanation he gives for why he was out in these streets is um his family immigrated um and it, he saved his sister from being sexually assaulted by a guy who rushed him and so when he rushed midnight midnight shot him so Midnight went to jail. While Midnight was in jail, he was sexually assaulted, which was, we'll, we'll get into that in just a little bit. I kind of glossed over it when I was reading the chapter, but um, yeah, one of the uh, listeners wrote in about that. Um, while he's in jail, he gets assaulted. And then his mom comes and visits him. And while she's visiting him in jail, another inmate tells her that if she doesn't start trafficking drugs for him, uh, then they're going to assault Bilal again. Um, and so she starts trafficking drugs and she gets caught and locked up. And so uh, his sister gets taken away from the house because obviously there's nobody there. Um, 
And so Midnight gets out of jail and goes to talk to his mom. And his mom is like, I did all this for you. Please find your sister. And then she died trying to tell him where her sister was. Midnight blames all of this on the black men that Sister Soldier holds up so high. The the strong uh, African men that Sister Soldier holds up so high. And it's like, I was assaulted by the same men that you're saying that I should be protecting. So why should I be trying to protect the people who took everything from me? Um, he writes this to her, not in a way that is really to make him or make her um, understand where he's coming from. He writes it in a way that almost seems like he thinks he's gonna browbeat her into liking him again. Like you don't wanna hear the real truth, but here's the real truth sort of thing. And um, Soldier's just like, yeah, um, I'm sorry about your mom, but you know, you want me to feel badly about your mom dying when you're taking moms out all the time through dealing drugs. Like, where's the balance in this? And to me, that was um, stark in that a lot of, I guess, I don't know a lot of drug dealers, but they don't think about the community unless it's their community. And I know that that stretched out further in, 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 in a lot of the ways that we walk as um, a younger generation. I know that there's a lot of folks who uh, had no qualms about terminology as long as it didn't refer to their own, such as uh, calling women bitches and hoes, but you better not call my mom a bitch and you better not call or treat my sister like a hoe. And it's like, but wait, what? So that hit me. Um, plus she was like, drugs is a government game um, and you shouldn't play it. I don't think Midnight's thinking about it from that side. Uh, but then Midnight got out the game and he was like, okay, I'm free now. I'm no longer doing drugs I'm, or I'm no longer dealing drugs mostly because the entire uh, organization fell apart, but he didn't say all that. Uh, so I'm, well, I'm open to come and see you. You know, I'm hoping to see you on your terms. I'm open to it. Um, one of the listeners um, hit me up and said, um, it kind of feels like people who like this book or who liked this book when they were younger are now ripping it apart because they feel guilty about enjoying something that was so problematic um, and that they're in, ignoring that there may be some nuances here and they may not be deliberate, but they're there. When I think about the fact that Winter's mother never has a name of her own, I feel like this reference to a broader context society um, is this, when it comes to how married women are viewed. One of the true crime podcasts I follow mentioned that there was this woman who was murdered and in her own murder file, they refer to her the whole time as Miss Husband's first name, husband's last name. I'm also reminded of Ibsen's A Dollhouse. Um, in that play, we know the wife's name is Nora, but that's only because she's the protagonist. The whole play is about how she doesn't really have an identity and everything about her is in reference to her connection to her husband. Uh, maybe Sister Soldier hates black women or maybe she's making a commentary about the patriarchy, both can be true. 
Um, lastly, I don't believe that there is such thing as consensual work in this system. We're all wage slaves being coerced into working. We live in, in a society wherein if you don't work, literally everything that you need to live is taken away. You won't have shelter, you won't have food, you won't have clothes, you won't be able to keep yourself clean and rid your body of parasites and infection. That's coercion. Attempting to fight the stigma of sex work by legitimizing work is not the vibe at all. All work is coerced in this system. I don't care if you're a pilot or a brain surgeon slash OBGYN like Doc. Abject poverty is coercion. And that's uh, Roy from the Let Me Tell You Something Bitch podcast. Um, and they're absolutely right. Um, whether you look at work as I'm doing something I love to do, so it's not work, or you look at work as I hate what I do and it's a trudge every day just to get out of bed. The bottom line is you're doing something to survive. Like in a, in a just world, you wouldn't have to do something to survive. In a just world, um, you would have hobbies and you would have a living wage uh, pay or given to you uh, by the government or by whomever. And you would um, be able to pursue your hobbies or whatever else you may wanna do. What I found is, and or, or what I believe is for rich people, um, the way that it seems to me is like for a lot of rich folks who make side businesses uh, they make money or they have money because they've already, you know, had money. And then they start these side businesses like Goop or whatever it may be as a hobby. And then because they're rich and famous, people flock to it because it's something that rich and famous people are, are, are pushing. And so they get even more money off of that. Whereas you and I, if we had a hobby that we wanted to monetize in order to sustain ourselves, it would become another job because everything that we do is to get enough money just to survive in this age, in this day and age. And so it doesn't really matter if, um, like, like Roy said, if we're talking about a brain surgeon or if we're talking about a sex worker, like any way you go about it, they still have to do what they do. It's not like there's a day where they could just be like, I don't wanna do this today. I'm going to uh, walk away from this for today. And I'm gonna go to Disney World. I'm gonna um, go to Paris or whatever it may be. So it is an unfair spectrum that we live in where you are able to have the opportunity to denigrate or, or, or malign somebody for doing something that they have to do to survive, but you're doing the same thing just in a different environment to survive. Yeah, you denigrate them because they're sex workers. I'm gonna denigrate you because you're sitting at a desk taking shit from a Trump supporter who uh, keeps on telling you about why the most recent horrendous act that's happened to a uh, person of color or, or an LGBT person was uh, their own fault and they brought it upon themselves. 
but you got to sit there and listen to it and you can't get mad because this is your job and you got to have this job. Otherwise your family's going to be out on their ass, but sure. Keep on talking about how sex workers are uh, selling themselves out. Um, Roy also said GS was not at that party. Oh God, that party, that party. Oh my goodness. Yeah. GS wasn't at that party. And, um, the hoops that they put those women through in order for them to end up getting deceived by bodyguards. I know that happens in the industry. I know it does. And it just, it's so shitty. It is. GS was not at that party. Winter probably slept with the guy she didn't recognize because while all the other pervs were debasing the girls downstairs, he was upstairs in the dark, ready to have non-consensual sex with a teen. I'm so pissed about that. Winter might have really been able to ride GS into the lifestyle of rich and famous. I know Winter's a mess, but I'm rooting for her and I want her to win. Based on how things are going, I know she ain't gonna. I want her to snag a baller that's not a criminal and get the money and create a lifestyle brand like she's Gwyneth Paltrow or something. Have her little tag, her have her little tagline be winter's always in season. I want to see my girl fly. Sister Soldier definitely has internalized misogyny. However, she also clearly knows how niggas do because she's seen it done. When all these old men who were selling out concert halls when my mom was in high school come out with their little autobiographical movies, autobiographical movies, they confirm such scenes were commonplace in the rap industry. Whereas too often niggas choose a white man's patriarchy over black people's freedom. I can't. So these bodyguards, Set it up before the women got there, before the 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 ladies got there, because you know some of them were young girls like Winter, um, where one of them was going to go upstairs in the dark and wait, and the others were going to go down there and get their jollies by debasing these women and making them do show me your toes and and show me your panty lines and all that kind of stuff you ain't got real you ain't got good shoes you ain't got good shoes and just all these stupid games to send somebody to like like Roy said a situation that they wouldn't have wanted to be in in any other place and if they, I guarantee, if she had tried to turn on the light, if she was successful in turning on the light, it wouldn't have gone down. We don't even know what Tony looks like. Not that it matters. But if she was ever to try and get, get back on Tony, because before I was like, I hope she sees Tony somewhere and just beats the shit out of him. But if she saw Tony, she wouldn't know him because it was all done in the dark. And he's watching her in the dark. He's like, I saw you fumble with the crystal bottle and all that kind of stuff. There's literally no way that he's going to get caught for this. There's no justice for her. 
There's never any justice for black women who go through shit like this. There's never any justice for women who go through shit like this. Because back in the day, we would just push it under the rug, charge it to the game. You want to be famous, this is what you get. Now it's, well, I don't know. In this day and age, it's just as hard to get people to to believe a victim when they're assaulted. But then to figure out which one it was that that did it, we don't even know if they're using their real names. Shit's wild. And then uh, we go back to Bilal and being sexually assaulted in prison. Um, And Roy says, oh my God, Bilal's rape. I couldn't have read this book before now. I'm so sensitive to sexual violence. No way I could have proceeding that as a teen or no way I could have processed that as a teen. I literally couldn't sleep after listening to that chapter. I guess to me, there's a gang of reasons to kill somebody, a million reasons to slap a bitch, and even a few to rob somebody. However, there's no good reason ever to rape somebody. I feel like both Winter and Sister Soldier kind of gloss over what happened to him. The fact they put that boy in a man's prison with a setup. Even Sister Soldier had to, has to admit that it's hard to choose six to it's hard to choose niggas after six grown black men gang rape you. I don't know why they would put him in a in a in a facility like that when he was 14. He was 14 years old. Six men. I'm doing I do another show called uh, Return to Oswald. And one thing that we always marvel at is where the fuck are the COs? And then we realize the COs are just the worst. And in this situation, it would have been the same thing. Where the fuck are the COs? If you put a 14-year-old kid in jail, if you find a way to put a 14-year-old kid in jail for defending himself and his sister and killing somebody, which it's literally self-defense. If you find a way to put him in jail for five years, first of all, how the fuck? Secondly, If you find a way to put him in jail, it better be a juvenile facility. He would have been in a juvenile facility and gotten out when he was about 19 years old. And I don't know what would have happened to him in a juvenile facility, but at least he would have been in there with juveniles. He wouldn't have been stomping with the big dogs, as he he called it. He wouldn't have been uh, in a place where he had nothing. He couldn't stand for himself. It wasn't like his murder was in cold blood. It wasn't like his murder was, I'm going to teach you a lesson. This kid had never gotten in trouble before in his life. And he killed somebody who was attempting to rape his eight-year-old sister. And then charged him. That whole setup just, he shouldn't have been in jail, period. Um. And I know they had juvenile facilities back then. So there's no reason why he didn't go to like Warwick or something like that. Like, why did he go to fucking Attica? 
or wherever he went to. Talking about he was convicted of manslaughter. He that whole setup just pissed me off. And I I I I did gloss over it because sexual assault, like it's yeah. But he said he was in prison with grown men due to prison overcrowding. Like, how does that work? Like, the juvenile facilities are too full? Like, what? So if the juvenile facilities are too full, then they don't take you to jail because you were defending yourself. Isn't that how it's supposed to work? And then the dude who, um, his, what, his cellmate, after he gets assaulted, tells him, don't worry about it. It's just an initiation. That's what they crew do. You fought back and you held it down. Now they look at you like a man. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. And that explanation is so vapid, just stupid. Oh. Oh, God. I just, I just, I don't know. I think that while that chapter was a very good chapter as far as the inter interaction between the two of them, Soldier and, and, um, and Midnight, I think that the way that they set that up could have been done better. Now I have a lot of questions about why he um, why he was there in the first place. Um, also, the fact that in this same chapter, Winter uh, has robbed yet another person because you know she's gonna get cash no matter what the circumstances. So, uh, but she's robbed an old white woman uh, in a parking lot. Um, and she's also, in her moment of need, tried to call Sterling, but Sterling's lady was probably like, yo, you're going to change that goddamn number, you fucking pedophile. Like, everybody in this book is a pedophile. Also, um, if Winter or if Midnight is 22 now, in 1993, and he was writing about when he was 14. Okay, so that's eight years, so that's 1985. So that means he was born in 1977? What? That can't be right. If he was 22, if he was 22, did she say he was 22 or 24? No, she was 24. If he was 22 in 1993, that means that he was born in 71. which means that he's six years older than Winter, 
which means that when Winter was 13, he was 19. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Winter, uh, I, I know that the life that you've um, been programmed to believe in is the one where your dad is way older than your mom and just took advantage of a, of a child, but no, no. Thank you for that at the very least, uh, Midnight, for staying the fuck away from that little girl. Um, it's deeply appreciated. Um, Tupac cares or don't nobody else care. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, we'll go ahead and we'll get back to the next chapter um, of the coldest winter ever. It's, it's the last thing that hit me is how even after um, winter read these letters, nothing. She didn't pick up nothing from that. Nothing about uh, what Midnight went through in prison. Nothing about his mom. Nothing about his life. Nothing about nothing. Not even a deeper respect for Sister Soldier. I mean, you lived with the woman for who knows how long. Long enough for her to, you know, take you in, trust you, all that kind of stuff. So it had to have been months. You're reading about how she, you know, maintains her life and her beliefs and all that and still nothing still just fuck her and i want to fuck him huh i'm gonna go to silver springs and not even know how to get there and i laughed when she said silver springs is a small town oh the fuck it's not but you would assume that coming from new york you know and so i'm gonna go down there and find him no you're not, no, you're not. you don't even know his real name even after she says his name you still don't really know his name you don't know nothing about the dude. But then Bullet came and uh, swept her up. Um, and so now she's going to go back to New York with Bullet and be Bullet's girl, a Bullet babe. Um, and we'll see how that goes. Obviously, it's not going to go well because nothing has gone well for this young lady yet. But for what it's worth, she keeps trying. And I respect that. Uh, thank y'all so much for listening. Um, like I said, the next uh, chapter will be chapter 17. Looking forward to doing it. Um, hope y'all are enjoying the show. Please leave five-star reviews wherever you listen to the podcast at. Um, also, hit us up, 916-633-1537. Um, or you can hit us on Twitter at ratchet book club or email us at wretched and ratchet at gmail.com uh thank you so much for your time i greatly appreciate it y'all be good peace and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com 
for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my dad, and you say, 